humans have so many amazing capabilities that 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 kind of a job uh, orienting your product on a conveyor belt so that a barcode scanner can scan it is not the best use of human potential. We need to take those people and retrain them to do things that are uniquely human. Welcome to the DuPage Business Beat, a podcast about today's biggest business issues told from a Chicagoland perspective. Hello, Chicagoland. Welcome to the DuPage Business Beat. I'm Greg Bedloff, President and CEO of Choose DuPage. I'm joined today by Matt Finn, Chief Economist at 1834, a division of Old National Bank. And also joining me is Glenn Mazade, Senior Vice President of Commercial Business Banking at Old National Bank. Glenn and Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Well, we're really tickled to have you here today. And today we're going to be talking about something that I've kind of called peoplenomics, the economics of labor and how it affects businesses here in DuPage and Chicagoland. And we know labor is a complicated issue. It sits at the intersection of automation, immigration, climate change, housing, healthcare, AI, and probably half a dozen other things. In 2023, the U.S. labor market, some would argue, is heading towards a crisis. Some would also submit that it's already in one. Businesses throughout DuPage and the Chicagoland area, and I respectfully submit the nation, are having a hard time finding the talent they need. And with slowing population growth rates, and Matt, I know that that's something you are acutely aware of, it seems that the problem may be intensifying. Well, you're right. I mean, labor is a very complicated topic. It's uh, There's a lot of trends that have been going on for really decades you have to go all the way back to World War II, and I know that that seems sort of far-fetched, but when you think about it, our economy over the last several decades has really been most impacted by that baby boom generation. And in the 80s and 90s, those baby boomers were in their peak earning years, their peak years of productivity. The problem is they weren't having as many children as the previous generation that that produced the baby boomers. So, for instance, when I was born in 1960, for every 1,000 women in the United States, there were 3,600 children being born. Okay, Today, for every 1,000 women in the United States, there are only 1,800 children being born. And that's below what demographers refer to as the replacement rate uh, to even keep the population stable. So that's been a problem, and that's been building for decades. Uh, just another one, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll pause here, but another interesting statistic has been there were uh, around uh, – and I gotta, I've got to get the, the data here um, – but young people, there were about 21 million young people, and when I, I use that term, uh, young people, between the ages of, say, 20 and 24, okay? There were about 21 million young people uh, in 1982 in, in the United States. Today, there are 22 million young people between the same ages of 20 and 24 in the United States, except that the population has grown from 173 million people to 340 million people. So we're not producing as many 
new entrants to the labor market as we were in years past. And that's really created a nationwide problem. And you stack that on top of the fact that during COVID, you had millions of people exit the labor force. That's where we find ourselves in the current situation. Yeah. And I want to talk about that. During COVID, anecdotally, I heard story after story about the 61-year-old or the 60-year-old who had planned on retiring at 65 or somewhere around 65, who just decided, you know what, my 401k is somewhat robust. I've enjoyed a good run-up of my investment funds. And rather than waiting until some magic arbitrary number, of course, factoring in Social Security and healthcare and everything, they just decided, you know what, life is too short, and I'm going to take this opportunity to retire early or, or hang it up. That certainly seems like that would just exacerbate that problem. We thought we might see some of those people come back to the labor force after the problems with COVID. Unfortunately, uh, the stock market uh, and interest rates and things like that have actually worked counter to that in that people can afford to stay retired. Right. Uh, you know, I know the market lately has been a little shaky, but overall, you know, we're up significantly since COVID and that is only reinforced seniors' ability to stay retired. I think, depending on what age you start the, the, you start your measurement, we've lost about 3 million workers permanently. As and a that's nation, of that, nationwide. As a result of that early retirement. And that's naturally, right. with the Chicagoland area representing such a large percentage of the overall population relative to smaller towns and smaller America, that's right. the impact is more dramatic where the numbers are greater. Yeah, I think when you look at large employers, those with over 500 employees versus small businesses, you're seeing most of the retirement coming out of those larger employers. Okay, then let's shift to those, I don't remember the age that you said, 20 to 24, those those yeah. new workers that are coming in the market. Right. Are they coming in with the same vim and vigor as they came in in the, in the 60s through the 80s when you know, uh, the baby boomer generation was, pardon the poor word choice, but creating all these new workers and all this new workforce. Are these folks entering the workforce? Are they coming in slower? Are they gap years and all of that kind of stuff impacting how quickly they come in the market? Right. What you're talking about is the participation rate, which is uh, when you have a pool of eligible workers, how many of them are actually choosing to to get into the to the uh, labor market. And there's a lot going on there as well. Um, more than 50% of all college students are women, which is great. Wonderful. It is. It's wonderful. Proud father of three daughters. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. However, uh, this is creating a problem in that, in that women are better educated than their male counterparts. They're getting married much later. The average age for a woman to get married now in the United States is 27. The average age when they start having children now is pushed up to 29. And so that shortens the number of years they can have children. Right. They're having fewer children. The other problem is anecdotally, and, and Glenn can probably talk to this as well, uh, you know, from a, what we're, you know, the interest level we're seeing from our borrowing customers mm -hmm. uh, at the bank is the trades are having a difficult time getting young people uh, in. And so uh, that's really creating a problem. Yeah. And, you know, we work with a lot of the building trades here in DuPage proudly. Yeah. Uh, our friends in labor 
are working with us constantly, and we hear exactly what you're saying all the time, that yeah. they're having to come up with new and creative ways to get uh, the workforce into the trades and educate them on what a trade can mean to somebody and how you can be earning six figures after a, a relatively short period of time and how you can have benefits and how you can have a pension. But back to your point, if those people that would traditionally go after those jobs just simply aren't here because of the population trends you mentioned, it seems to me that that's going to create a problem from a, a long-term basis because the trades are just so critical to development throughout DuPage and throughout the nation. Right. What are you seeing, Glenn, on a local level with your customers when it comes to workforce and employees and how they're being integrated into the community? Yeah, I think we're you know, we're seeing companies finding ways to fill positions as best as they can. A lot of just temporary uh, workers that are coming in, filling positions. Uh, challenges continue with trades and other, you know, um, uh, manufacturing type of positions that have historically not been attractive to those high school students and, and so on. So I think there's been a renewed push uh, to try and really pull those students in and even to some grade school levels, right? So trying to get kids interested at an earlier age and so on. Now, that still hasn't worked its way through, but I think Companies have tried to, or at least have become creative in trying to fill positions as best as they can. I know our friends at College of DuPage, along with the DuPage Regional Office of Education, Work-Based Learning Solutions, there's a lot of programs out there right now, and they're seeing more activity and more interest than ever before. But as you pointed out, it's a long curve. It's a long cycle. You're not going to just flip a switch yep. and all of a sudden have everybody interested in getting into the trades. But that leads to my next question. And we all I'll preface this by saying we always try to stay non-political during our, our, our business roundtable discussions and our business beat podcast. But if we have this shortage of workers in those trades, if we have the shortage of workers in labor in any way, shape or form, what is the economist viewpoint on the economic perspective of the potential for migrants and folks who come into this country, because since the country was founded, people have been coming into the country and they have been really wonderfully filling these positions. Is this something that is talked about in the circle of economists and how it could actually potentially solve some of this problem or address some of this problem? Yeah, well, you know, America is the great melting pot. And, and so... A lot of what has built this country over the years has been built on the backs of, of immigrant workers. But we need skilled workers. We need workers with skills. You know, there are certainly still crops that need to be harvested, uh, you know, manually, uh, that where we need unskilled, uh, you know, seasonal workers. Mm -hmm. I get that. But even that is becoming more and more mechanized. We really don't need that. What we need are more highly skilled workers. And so I think there's a delicate balance between comprehensive, clearly defined immigration policies, which I think we need. We mm -hmm. definitely need the skills of workers wherever they're coming from. Along with that, we're getting new developments in technology, AI. Everybody talks about artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. 
One of the ways that that manifests itself is that we're, we're moments away from ordering fast food to a, a robot. Sure. Be, because voice recognition technology is getting to the point where we don't need someone at McDonald's drive through merely listening to you say, I want a cheeseburger, and then touching a picture of a cheeseburger on a screen. Right. And, and what I'm saying there is humans have so many amazing capabilities that that, that kind of a job, uh, orienting your product on a conveyor belt so that a barcode scanner can scan it, is not the best use of human potential. We need to take those people and retrain them to do things that are uniquely human, like tasks requiring teamwork or empathy or caring or finding unique solutions or building teams and not doing these mundane tasks. So let's continue on that notion of robotics and automation and technology. With the decline in participation rate, with the decline in replacement rate and all the things that you touched about, can robotics, can technology, and will robotics and will technology be sufficient to fill that gap from a sustainability perspective until retraining takes place, until kind of the new economy emerges? What are the economists seeing from that perspective? I think the answer is we hope so or it better. <laughs> because if if you want to maintain, if any country, this is somewhat academic, but if any country wants to maintain a certain level of GDP growth, say 4% a year, mm -hmm. and your labor force is not growing at anywhere near that level, then what that means is the remaining workers you have have to be more productive, right? Each each worker needs to be more productive over their ensuing years if you're wanting to keep the same economic growth rate in the face of a declining labor force. So the only thing to fill that gap would be technology, which enables each individual worker to be that much more productive. So if you're building cars, like you know, to use your example, and it used to require – 5,000 workers in a plant to crank out a car, and now you can do that work with half that many people plus robotics, each of those workers is much more productive. And so we have to keep that trend going uh, in order to sustain our economic growth. Here's the other thing. Um, one, of the, one of the impediments to automation is that the, the machine itself that you might be thinking of costs you know, a million dollars to install. Well, at some point, it becomes worth it to expend the, the funds and to invest in the technology uh, in automation when you don't have the available workers. And so that's where I think we're at sort of this inflection point in our economy, which is technology continues to become more affordable at just the right time when we're finding that our labor force is is uh, not as robust as it used to be. Yeah, but let me let me ask a follow-up to that then. So to continue using the assembly plant as the example, if it used to have 5,000 workers and now let's say it has 1,000 workers, those 4,000 workers that are not there anymore, not all of them were ready for retirement. What's the economic impact of those 4,000 that 
are jobless at this point. Yeah. Fortunately for the U.S. economy and for for other economies around the world, that pace of technology change happens a little bit more slowly. So it's not like, okay, on January 1, 4,000 people are out of a job. Those uh, machines, the robotics, the technology is put into place over several years and it you, you look back and you say, well, there used to be 5,000 people here. Now there's only 1,000. Didn't happen overnight. But it didn't happen overnight. And, you know, empirically, the fact that, you know, there's 165 million people in the labor force compared to, you know, 20 years ago when there was less than 100, uh, sorry, 165 million people in the labor force compared to, say, 20 years ago, there was less than 100 million people in the labor force suggests that. All those people aren't out of a job. They're simply retrained. They've found something else. And the American worker is yeah, resilient. Yes, the American worker is resilient. That's good to know. So last question on this one, and then we'll switch to a different topic. And for Glenn or, or for Matt, when you combine robotics and AI and technology with offshoring and the amount of work that's going overseas, whether that is in the IT space, the manufacturing space. We don't manufacture as much here in the States as we used to for many, many reasons. What are the trends happening now with offshoring and, and bringing business back? And what does that mean for the economy? Yeah, well, there's a couple of trends that are in place since COVID, which everybody became acutely aware of the difficulties of, of offshoring when uh, we were in the midst of a global pandemic. And so there was a, a, a rush, if you will, to think about onshoring some of that supply chain capacity. What's actually happening is we're nearshoring it. In other words, the economics of putting some of that back into the United States was just cost prohibitive. But Mexico is a good nearshore partner. But also, and this is my segue to Glenn, is there is a sort of manufacturing renaissance going on. And particularly in the Midwest, rather than the coastal cities, because land is cheaper, the cost of labor is generally cheaper, there are available workers here. And so there are some trends that are very favorable to that sort of reshoring uh, phenomenon that's been going on. Yeah, and I I think um, you know I'm I'm starting to see the beginning of that with small and mid-sized companies. So, you know, we look at and we talk about some of the big projects with Amazon warehouses and and Lion Electric and and Goshen plant that was announced and so on. Just think about the automation needed and the technology in these million plus square foot facilities the key is how do we how do we push that down into the small and mid-sized companies and i think we're starting to see that i think we're starting to see big companies look to us manufacturing i think we've started to see some at least moderation of that difference in in um in just overall supply chain reliability um yes so costs are going to be a little bit more manufacturing it here but when you take into account supply chain uncertainty companies want more reliability in that supply chain so when i see small and mid-sized companies really focused on 
you know, talking about supply chain to their big companies, to their big customers or their tiered customers that ultimately, you know, uh, work up through some of the big manufacturers. I think we see some, you know, at least more focus on that and more opportunities in the small and mid-sized companies to be able to bring in, use automation. Absolutely. We got to make sure that we bring in you know, we have the engineers to be able to do and and uh, encode a lot of that automation. So we've got to make sure that we have those components. But I think there's great opportunities here in the next five or 10 years, again, in that small to midsize. And especially if, if we continue to see challenges in, in China, government putting on more tariffs and things of that nature, which is just bringing that price, you know, back into the equation where we can manufacture it here uh, with companies, small and mid-sized companies using more robotics and more automation. Good. So The other thing we're seeing, again, from a global perspective is sort of a, a dual alliances forming here because you've got Russia, which is a, in the negative column, if you will, uh, China. North Korea, which isn't a factor economically, but you've got other countries that are aligning themselves from a trade perspective with that set of actors. And then you have the free market economies. So, so again, my kids didn't care where their iPhone came from as long as it was inexpensive. And the latest version. And the latest version. <laughs> However, what's happening now is uh, because of trade secrets being being stolen and things like that, now people are starting to worry about where their stuff is coming from. And so I think you're going to see more of a, more alliances being formed uh, with the United States sort of leading that process with countries that are friendly to the United States and then other countries that are more friendly to China and, and Russia forming alliances with, with those countries. So we'll have sort of a duopoly global yeah. trading system. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's it for today's show. This has been Peoplenomics Part 1. Stay tuned for Part 2, where I'll join Matt and Glenn for a discussion on the rising cost of housing, the country's aging population, and the one question that's on every business owner's mind. You won't want to miss it. Thank you, Matt and Glenn, for joining me. And as always, I'd like to thank our friends at the College of DuPage for supporting today's episode. For all things Chicagoland, be sure to follow Choose DuPage on social media or visit choosedupage.com. I'm Greg Bedlove. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time on the DuPage Business Beat.